Hey guys, what's up? I am currently recording this in my closet with my entire body shoved in a tiny corner in a rack of clothes so we can get prime good quality audio. Anyways, um, welcome back and thank you guys so much for listening to Fish Cheeks. Today I talked to my old high school friend Marai Nagasu who also happens to be an Olympic figure skater. Yeah, whoa. We reminisce on our teenage years and the journey of failing upwards, sticking the landing, and winning the Olympic medal. I really hope you guys enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe and rate Fish Cheeks. I love you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoy. I said that already. All right, bye. Hey, Bri. Hey. Hi. Oh my gosh, it's been a very long time. So long. I know. I have seen you. High school? Can you believe? Well, I'm almost in my 30s, so. What do you mean you're almost in your, we're the same age. I'm 27. Oh, I'm 26, but we're still in our late 20s. Uh, yeah, it's like crazy. I know, we're in our late 20s, and the last time I saw you was probably during our high school graduation. I didn't graduate from Arcadia High School, what? You did. Wait, what? You no. didn't? No. Why? Oh my God. I was such an impact on your life that you didn't even know that I, I stopped going to Arcadia High School my junior. So like I went freshman, sophomore, and then I didn't go junior, senior year because I wanted to go to the Olympics. Oh my God. Why do I have this? You know, it's funny because I do have this vivid memory where I was like, I have not seen Mariah in a long time on campus, but it just, I just thought I was like, oh, well, she's probably at practice since you practiced so much and you missed school a lot right uh yeah I did and I didn't I didn't take um two periods so PE and then an elective so I could skate longer but that only started in high school because in middle school I tried not to go to PE and they're like no you have to take PE but I didn't tell anyone that I was not going to go to Arcadia anymore because I didn't want to talk about how I didn't want to go to school because I wanted to go to the Olympics because I thought that if I told people, it would put up more pressure on me to go like to try harder. It was very confusing. So I just like just one day went into school um, and was like, I'm I'm going to start online schooling thank you so much for everything. And they're like, okay. And, and, and I got my transcript and left. Oh, isn't that bizarre? I had no idea that it was so easy. I had this really horrible experience in geometry honors where I was failing and I decided that I just couldn't keep up with school and skating and that I needed to focus on skating while I was young. I had this scenario. Mrs. Neri was the worst teacher ever. <laughs> she yeah, really? what if she what if she watches this? She's like, I love her podcasts. No, <laughs> I remember I had Neri and I failed her geometry class two times. That's how yeah, hard she it was. It was it was such a negative experience that I thought that I couldn't handle. So Miss Neri actually takes responsibility of you going to the Olympics. <laughs> Maybe it was all because of her hard class. You dropped out. You started doing online school and went there. Okay, yeah, because mm-hmm. I wait. Yeah, what were you gonna say? Because uh, do you remember that her exams were so hard, and because we were an honors class, we were expected to know the material from chapters that we hadn't learned, and so <laughs> we would all go into the exams like thinking, like, "Oh God, we're so screwed," and 
she'd be like, no, you're going to be fine. It's on a curve. But there's always one asshole who had like tutors. So (laughs) there was no curve. Well, you were the honors class and I was in the normal class and it was still so hard. I don't understand why she still, you know, taught the curriculum the way she did because it was like a foreign language class. I had no idea what she was teaching. Wait, so how do how were you able to just like not go to two classes? You just told um, the school like, oh, I'm skating and I'm not going to attend these two classes. Are, are, is so, this how Olympians like go to school? They no. just like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. No, no. So in middle school, I went to, I mean, like I had to do everything myself and all of my friends were not going to PE and instead skating an extra hour. And so when I went into middle school, I asked I went into the office and I was like, I'd like to talk to the supervisor, please. Like, um, okay, Karen. Yeah. (laughs) And I, and they're like, why, what do you mean? And I was like, I would like to abstain from PE so that I could skate an extra hour. And they looked at me like I was crazy and they're like, no, you have to take PE. So I, I took PE in middle school because I couldn't get out of it. And uh, then I, I won my first national championships in the junior level. And the school was so proud of me there. They uh, like, uh, they're like, all right, let the girls skate. Yeah. And then I went into high school and, and then I asked again, I said, would it be okay if I didn't take PE so that I could have an extra hour to skate? And that was when they were like, yeah, okay, we get that you're kind of good at skating. So we'll give you like skating will be your PE. And so I didn't, I came in a little bit later because of, um, they allowed me to take PE off. But then I, I was really struggling in Neri's class. And that was when I was like, uh, it, it's only going to get harder from here. There are AP classes. And I mean, you know, Arcadia, everyone is so competitive with their grades. And I was just like, I can't keep up. And so, I, didn't, I never saw that from you. I always thought you were just able to skate and be in all the AP classes because you were just, you know, committed like that. But when did you start skating? I was five years old. How old were you when you did ballet? I was five and a half, six. Yeah. But I never went to the ballet Olympics. <laughs> so you just like, where did you start skating at? I started at the Pasadena Ice Skating Center when it was um, in the convention center. Um, my parents are immigrants and they wanted me to find something at a really young age. And so my dad wanted me to be a golfer. And so I have photos of me like on the the golf course when I'm still in my diapers. And then it rained one day and we couldn't go to the golf course. And so my mom decided to take me skating. And because we had been going to the golf course like every day, I started asking to go to the skating rink instead. And my dad still talks about how it was the end of his dreams. So because of a rainy day, they were just like, well, Mariah still needs to get her exercise in. Let's take her to the skate. And you just fell in love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how did you, I, how did you know to how skate? did I get involved? Um, yeah. Well, my mom knew how to skate a little bit. And then uh. I always just wanted to go really fast. And, and then I started asking for, I started, I mean, like every kid, like demanding things. And so I was like, I want to learn more. I want to, I want to learn how to skate. And so my mom taught me what she could, which is just basic skating. And then I signed up for group classes, but then I told my, my mom, 
Like I wanted to be better. Like I told her the classes were too easy. And so she signed me up for private lessons because she didn't know how expensive they were. And then from there, my coach started to, to, to teach me about skating and, and the culture of skating, I guess. And, and then by six, I was competing and, and it was just like, you go up your levels as you get older. Did your parents know that this teacher that they hired for you as private lessons would take you to that level of competitive skating? No. Also, she, I mean, once you, you start in skating, uh, in any sport, actually, I feel like you start to sign up for competitions and I don't know what you call them marathons, whatever it is that gets the kid to like, start to commit and to push them to get better. Right. And so I think even from a young age, you start competing. And that's what motivated me to get better. Wow. I didn't like in ballet. um, There's always those recitals that you start to work towards, you know, and then you're like, Oh, like, I want to be a sugar plum fairy. So I have to work harder this year. And you, you do those, uh, like auditions kind of right. Yeah, well, I think your your story is a little bit more different than mine because I think for me everyone did ballet. There were so many of us and it was and there was no there were competitions but to stand out. I all I'm saying is I think you are just one of a kind truly to Thank you. I I always said to my mom I was like I don't think I was born dance like I think I was taught to dance and I love it and it's just a big passion of mine but I remember seeing other students in my dance class and it was just it felt like they were born out of their mother's womb and every part of their muscle just knew how to dance they were it just clicks inside of their DNA or something and I just feel like you are one of those special people that have that you know you're just like gifted so I remember you, Olivia, as um, the ballerina actor in high school. That was like my label for you. <laughs> and and um, I found it so interesting because when I met you through Georgine, mm-hmm. I kind of looked at you and was like, oh, my God, like there's a studio that has Asians because I took uh, we have a mutual friend, Georgine. And I took ballet lessons with Georgine and I was the only Asian in the class. And so. I just kind of went to ballet every day and thought like, oh, I do ballet because it'll help me get better at skating, not uh, knowing and, and kind of just being like, oh, yeah, this is like a prerequisite um, for you. Right. Whereas right. there's there's a lot of us that really commit to only dancing, only but, doing ballet. What was your dance studio called? My dance studio was called Lee's Dance Studio, and we were mostly all Asian. And, right. Yeah. And my I dance- went to La Studio in Pasadena and yeah. it was like only white people. Interesting. I and we would compete against a lot of predominantly white Caucasian studios as well. Like we would be the only Asian studio in competitions. But it's very interesting because I remember I had this conversation with you where you told me that you also took ballet class. And I was like, oh, that's so cool that you know, skaters also have to learn the foundation of ballet. Do you have to be really good at ballet in order to skate? Um, not necessarily. I think also my choreographer made me go take ballet because I was so um, 
not co- I wasn't coordinated I couldn't move to the music <laughs> really <laughs> instead of yeah instead of like teaching me how to move she was like you know what you should go take ballet classes so you understand how to control your muscles and it'll really help you and I I, I took ballet I think three times a week wow. and then the other two or maybe once a week uh do you remember Michelle Hamano? No. Oh, she went to high school with us, but her mom tried to teach me piano. How was your day-to-day day like back then in high school? So I would wake up before school to go skating for two hours, and then I would I would drive to school, well, get dropped off, and then um, just normal high school. Uh, lunchtime was my favorite because uh, we had that, like, special – bench that we just kind of congregated at and then would go on to other classes and then after school I would go to ballet or I would go to Michelle's house for piano and then go back to the restaurant and uh yeah I think like freshman year of, of high school I was still sleeping at my parents restaurant because I wasn't old enough to stay at home by myself and then sophomore year my parents were fine like okay like you can stay at home by yourself now. And I remember when I was um, in high school, there was like this interview about you, how your day-to-day was rehearsal. I mean, practice, ballet, all of that. And then you would crash literally in a makeshift bedroom at your parents' restaurant. Yeah. Like, so there I, were, I remember the, the storage image. room. You slept in the storage. That's insane. Yeah, but also... there's always restaurant kids and I feel like you just kind of get used to doing everything at the restaurant and I mean if I had an iPad back in the day I would have been so content but I had Harry Potter instead and like now kids read Harry Potter on their iPad so it's like kind of comparable I've been to your parents restaurant too it's delicious thank you it's so good and it's been there at Arcadia for like how many decades now I want to say close to 20 years and you know it's good because my mom is so mean to everyone because she gets so flustered when which is mean speaks. to every- your mom is so nice <laughs> I feel like growing up she'd be like please wait and just like oh. put her hands up because she gets so overwhelmed with people asking how long the wait was gonna be and and that was all she was asked constantly. And she'd be like, but the restaurant's so busy. Like, what do you think is happening? And and English isn't her best language. So I always remember her being like, please wait. And if you can't wait, just leave. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> such an Asian mentality. I mean, but it's realistic. If you can't wait, go somewhere else. But it yeah. also meant that the restaurant was so de- is so delicious. Um, how are your parents doing right now during this pandemic? Because they own a restaurant. They're- They're actually doing really well um, because I um, kind of made them, not made, forced them, but I would call them every day. And and, uh, David Wang, who we also went to high school with, um, cold called this guy named Chef Eric Bruner Yang through Instagram, who started an initiative called Power of 10. And basically he was taking angel donations and then helping fund restaurants stay open by giving them the money to fund 
employees to provide meals to healthcare workers and low income families in the community. And David reached out saying, you know, restaurants in the LA area aren't doing so well right now either. How can we possibly bring this initiative to LA? I think we have a great restaurant. And then he contacted me through Michelle Hamano and said, I think if your parents are struggling, this might be a great initiative to get them to be a part of. And at first I was like, uh, like my parents don't like anything new and they've never catered meals before. So it's going to be a hard no. And he was, David was like, just talk to the chef. Let's see what he says. And so I talked to the chef and I said, this is a great idea. I really appreciate that you were considering my parents' restaurant, but my parents don't like change. They just are super opposed to it. And, and so like, I don't know what to tell you. And the chef actually was like, yeah, they are probably overwhelmed and just try to drop the idea to them and see what they say. And, you know, like as someone who's grown up with that multi-ethnic cultural background, I understand that it's hard to get people to change. So just like try to push it and so I was like okay and this is a time period where my dad was trying to figure out the PPP form and was getting really frustrated because he didn't quite understand how to fill it up Mm -hmm. and so every day I'd be like dad you have to do this program this way you can help keep the restaurant open and you get to make meals for healthcare workers and don't you want to like your favorite thing is providing meals to people to satisfy them this is how you're going to do it and how you're going to stay open and he was like oh I don't like I don't need your help this is my restaurant I'm going to do things the way I know how to do them and I don't need you like go skate or something and I was like well I can't skate because all the rinks are closed for good reason so um are you maybe open to trying the idea and I think the just me telling them every day that they should try something new, kind of the way that they pushed me in my skating really changed their mind. And so now they're part of Power of 10, making meals for the Methodist Hospital, the Asian Youth Center and the Foothill Unity Center. And right now I think that a lot of families are really struggling just to get by. And so I think they all congregate to get their meals and then the Methodist hospital, the nurses get um, some authentic Japanese food on the weekends. So I think it's, it's been nice to for for my parents to be able to help the community, the 626 area in the mornings, and then um, during regular business hours, be open for takeout. Oh, so they're still open for takeout as well. I'd love to order from them when I go back. Yeah, where do you live now? I live in West Hollywood. Where do you live? I'm in Boston. What? Okay, mm-hmm. so we just, I thought you were in Colorado as well. So you moved from LA to Colorado to train for the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back to the Olympics again, um, how many were you in? Only two. So oh, only two, yeah. Only two, girl, only two. So I, so remember how I said I um, left Arcadia to try to go to the Olympics? Yeah. And magically, I qualified in 2010 when I was 16. And 
I got there and it was a different world. It was really surreal. And um, you get to do things like walk in the opening ceremonies and um, you stay in a village, but also it was Canada. So it still felt like close enough to home that I went to walk in the opening ceremonies. And then I came back to California to train um, because it's like such a long period of time between the opening and then figure skating, which is one of the most popular events at the Olympics. And so I flew back to do my individual event because the flight from California to Vancouver was so short. And I ended up uh, getting fourth place at my first Olympics. <gasps> and I was super excited and happy about it. Like, oh my God, I was just off the medal stand. This puts me in great um, position for my future because I was really young. Yeah. And uh, reading the media afterwards, because you just can't help it. You're curious as to what people are writing about you and what they think about you. It was all pretty just like middle okay kind of, of a response. And it was more like, oh, she didn't get a medal. That's too bad. If you don't get a medal, you don't get anything at the Olympics is kind of what I took away from that experience. But it also made me hungrier to go again. And so four years later in 2014, which was kind of a rocky season for me, um, I got third at my national championships, but wasn't named to the team because the girl who was in fourth place had a stronger resume than me. And at the end of the day, her her resume was better than mine. And so she jumped over me. The thing that really still irks me is that the girl who got second place, her resume was not better than mine. And she still was named to the team. Why do you think year, that happened? Um, it's a little bit of a political um, decision, I think. And I think that they, they saw me that so in order to get selected to the team, there's an international selection committee that goes in and votes on who gets to go to the Olympics. And I had this reputation that I was kind of a wild uh, racehorse and I was a little bit unpredictable and a little bit inconsistent. And that really, uh, I think, was not to my advantage because he was second place who didn't have any reputation like that because she had just come onto the scene. And so I think that was to my detriment. But um, I mean, obviously, when you place third and I'm skating was my entire life, like when I didn't qualify for that Olympics, it was really hard on me. Like I put I put a lot of emphasis of skating and my results to my worth as a person and value. And so I really struggled with who I was as a person, because it was like, who am I without skating? And that was when um, also like all my friends are basically graduating from undergrad. And here I am, like, I haven't gone to college at all. I put everything into skating and to be like, I'm worth nothing now because I don't have an education to show for myself. And like, I don't have an Olympic medal. Like, what am I doing with my life? And so I felt like I had to get out of California. And so I left to go visit my friend in Colorado, just, just because I feel like when you're from Southern California, you're, I mean, there's sunshine all year round. 
there's good food, there's diversity, there's really no reason to leave. So when I left um, just to visit my friend, it was such a huge experience for me to go to Colorado Springs, which is so different from Los Angeles. And I went to just kind of see the mountains. Yeah, see the mountains, basically. And um, I asked randomly for a lesson from the coach who took me to the Olympics just to see like what he was all about. Um, and I said, I asked him that first lesson that I took from him to teach me the triple axle. And I don't remember this story. So it's kind of a lollipop moment where it's a, it makes a huge impact on someone else, even though it meant nothing to me. And then he sat me down and, and showed me an agenda of what I needed to do to qualify for the next Olympics. And I was so impressed by how prepared he was and how I could parallel his agenda to a syllabus at school that I decided to like pack up my car and move to Colorado Springs. So you going to Colorado Springs just because you wanted to see the mountains and then train with the coach reignited your passion to hopefully qualify again for the Olympics? Yeah. And I think that I really, I really wanted to shed myself of that reputation that I was just like, some talented wild horse who no one could control because I never saw myself like that. I always thought that I was a a hard worker Mm -hmm. and um, like if I see the vision, I'm super committed to it. And, And so knowing that people thought that I was lazy and that I wasn't a hard worker really um, like it, it turned me sour kind of like I would look around and think like oh all these people hate me they think I'm lazy they think I'm like um just useless and that really hurt my feelings and so when I got to Colorado I think that was the first impression that people had until I was the one who um you know I had to change as a person and I had to really show everybody that 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 Olympic spot was what I wanted and I would do whatever it took to, to take it. So after, um, not qualifying, did you want to qualify again or were you kind of already just, you know, it put a really bad taste in your mouth that they called you lazy and all of that. So you, did you want to try again? I, uh, I didn't initially, I actually, um, I slept a lot. And I mean, I was really depressed and it was hard to get out of bed. And I think uh, I had to reach out to whatever limited resources that I had because mental health wasn't really um, important. And I think that it wasn't something that I could really talk to my parents about because they kind of expected me to just like get up and keep going. Like nothing happened. And so um, I, uh, it like took a long time to get to the point where I wasn't sulking in bed and I wasn't crying on the way to the rink because I was still skating was the thing. Like I sleep most of the day and then drag myself out of bed because I couldn't really understand why, but there was just something about skating that took me back to my childhood 
that I loved. And I actually really hated skating until once I moved to Colorado Springs, I felt like at first I was doing, I was skating out of anger. Like I couldn't understand why I still loved it so much, but then also hated it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And when I got to Colorado Springs as an only child who didn't have her parents, I was really lonely, even though I was staying with a, a family. And so I asked them if I could get a dog kind of on whim. And um, I actually adopted this Pugalier named Lincoln from the Humane Society. And he was so, uh, so sad. Like he was so thin and he was emaciated. And, and the thing was, as soon as he got home with me, he followed me around everywhere. And like man's best friend, the loyalty was so strong. Uh, And he started to like, his loyalty to me really and kind of gave me that motivation to become better at skating and to 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 place higher because for us for someone who's whose sport is their livelihood it's also how we make our income and so I knew that if I I meddled and placed higher I could go to the pet store and buy Lincoln more toys and seeing his happiness made me happier because I could come home after having a really bad training session and and he wouldn't care. And I think that that helped me kind of reevaluate my worth as a person. And so I started to work ha- harder because I wanted to be better for my dog. And, mm-hmm. and like, it's kind of funny that I'm like, I put so much emphasis on Lincoln, my dog, but like, I felt like he was there for me when I had no one else to really like, I thought I had no one else to lean on. Wow. That's like, very very sweet and profound it like makes me tear up listening to that Mm -hmm. because I can't even imagine the the depression that you were going through like you said labeling yourself as when all you do is who you are you know Mm -hmm. yeah and then have that be taken away or you know people talking trash about basically your entire life is really depressing. And that's something that I struggle with too, which is not letting my career be the defying thing about me. You know, if you stripped all of this away from me, am I still the person that I am? Am I still strong? And can I still hold myself as, you know, a good person, even if I wasn't an actor, if I wasn't a dancer, I wasn't whatever, you know, and that's something that I've always struggled with too, because sometimes winning those medals, getting a good training session makes you feel validated in your own life. Um, And that's something that I'm still like working on and trying to figure out. And so it's really awesome and amazing to see your journey and that your dog. (laughs) I know he was there for me. And I think that as, as performers are, our worth comes from that validation that you talked about comes from people telling us that we did a good job because like for me as an athlete it's my job to be hard on myself and to critique myself and I cannot watch a performance without thinking I could have done this better yep this was ugly and that was cheated and so when I see I mean we can't help it I think 
for us to go online and to see what people think of us just to have that that validation or it's kind of twisted because you see so many positive comments and it's that one negative comment that you're like oh yeah I suck you know and I always reflect on I started performing and competing when I was I started performing when I was six and then competing years later and I always now I think about it it's kind of twisted that we're little we're, we're, we're these little kids performing in front of an audience and for them to say good job which is clapping and screaming that shouldn't be what a really young kid endures and feels like that's their validation and their worth it's mm-hmm. just really bizarre you know to be performers at such a young age and thinking that great job you did great or winning this means that you did it you know, sometimes it's right. just even showing up on stage or making it to class. That's worth something too, you know? So it's interesting having this conversation because not a lot of people have gone through what you've gone through, mm-hmm. you know? But you you went through it on like an international stage. So how did you get, how did you qualify again for the second Olympics? So I moved to Colorado and when you're trying to pursue change, it doesn't happen immediately. And so Mm -hmm. my first couple seasons were still really rocky until I think my, um, and we were working on the triple axel on a regular basis. And I think that honestly, there's so many aspects to performing that you really have to work on. And as soon as you get your program, you do it over and over and over again, because you want to know it like you know the back of your hand and and you want to know when you can breathe because it's the free skate is a test of your stamina so you have to always have to have those moments where you have a hot second to kind of turn the mental page and when you're when you first get the program you just like don't know where that is and so it ends up being way harder and then there are those moments where for us as skaters we have to focus on our jump so um you know, for me at the beginning, my triple triples were the most difficult elements. And my Achilles heel was the triple sow cow, which is an edge jump. Most most of our jumps are tap jumps. So you kick into the ice, but edge jumps, you rely on that edge and how well you control that edge. And with sow cow, I could never uh, hit the toe pick. I, I would always kind of freak out or really doubt myself and that w- that was not good for Sao which is weird because there are two edge jumps loop and sow and I love loop I just understand how to stay over my right side and really kind of like flick off that topic but Sao it's just like not there for me and so it was about figuring out how to do my Sao how to f- change that technique how to get those triple triples to be more consistent and how to become a performer be a character that whole time so you're like panicking about your jumps but then also trying to play a character and when I first was introduced to being sexy I was like I can't do that like that's not in my nature like I can't I can't touch my face or neck like that like that's uncomfortable but I really had to learn to step outside of my comfort zone and I found that when I envisioned myself as not me 
it was a lot easier to play that character. Mm. So when I was Carmen, I was this temptress and I'm supposed to be Spanish and like clearly that's not me. So in my mind, I always looked different than what I was skating, but that takes up so much time of the day. You're, you're, you have to work on where you're looking and because you're playing to the judges, but then there's an audience. It's about where you're looking, when you're breathing, how are you interacting with the, the audience? It's just so much that goes on and it's really overwhelming. And so, um, and most skaters, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but most skaters learn their jumps at a younger age. And then as they get older, they just kind of refine their technique and make sure that you're on the right page. And so I started working on the triple axel kind of because I guess I had this un, um, undying belief in myself that I don't know where it came from. And I have I, a question about the triple axel. Is this mm-hmm. something that everyone knows how to do or no? Uh, how many so, people know how to do this? I've heard, I hear this term I, I and I don't know. Is it like, I know it's a hard thing, but not everyone knows how to mm-hmm. do this. So when skating has evolved since I competed at the last Olympics and huge jumps and leaps that I can't even express to you, but um, we're as females, we're not expected. Now we are, but when I was competing, uh, triple axles weren't really abundant and it was just triple triples and triples. And so double, uh, it goes axle, sal, toe, loop, flip, lutz. And so it goes single, double, 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 triple, 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 triple. It's a little confusing. So axle, because it takes off forward, you um, you go single axle is one and a half turns and then double axles is two and a half turns. And then the rest of the jumps are backward takeoff. So you go from single to double to triple. Mm. And so the um, the order after triple is triple axle. And females weren't really attempting the jump It's been like scattered here and there in history, but as far as the Olympics goes, no American had um, tried it at the Olympic Games. And so for me to, uh, at, at my Olympic Games in 2018, I was the only female trying it at that competition to put things into perspective. Wait, why? Why did you feel like you wanted to try that out? Isn't it kind of risky to do that? Yeah, but I could do it. So like, I mean, it wasn't my best jump because I didn't have the same experience with it. I mean, I was learning it in the last four years. So from 2014 to 2018 is when I learned that triple axel, where he's all my other triples. It takes four years to learn that? It took me four years. Yeah. So for skaters, most skaters, like I said, learn their jumps really young. So by the time I was 13 years old, I had all my triples. And then imagine being 13 to now 21, trying to learn a new jump when you haven't learned, had to learn a jump for that long. But I was so hungry and so thirsty. <laughs> I was thirsty to go to another Olympics that I was just like, I want to I do something that's going to set me apart from all of the other skaters. And I didn't even know if I could get that jump, but I started just 
I started by just like throwing myself into them just to see if I could do it until until I started to land on the jump cheated and once you start to land it cheated you get a good feel for it and then eventually I was landing them clean but um, my coach wanted to put it in pretty early when I wasn't landing it consistently at all he was because with boys a lot of time a lot of times under pressure they they stand up to and and deliver but for me uh, as a skater who was kind of that wild underdog who used to get a lot of cheat call a uh, cheated calls so if you don't land your jump clean they kind of are like that was downgraded and take mm. points away and I didn't I didn't want to take the risk of landing a cheated triple axel so I did try it once and and I almost felt I fell on my face and then I told my coach I will put it in when I'm ready um, and I found that I wasn't good under pressure like that when I didn't know that it was going to be there for me. And so I worked on it uh, at practice until I felt like I was ready to put it in. And that was the season. 2018 was the season. 2017-18 was the season that I started to really put it back into competition when I thought I could handle a new jump with the nerves, adrenaline, and my self-doubt. When you're on ice and you're performing in front of the judges, what is going through your mind? Don't fuck it up. <laughs> right? It's not like, oh my God, I'm I'm so happy. It's like so much pressure. Yeah. And you're like, you worked so hard for this moment. So when you qualified, were you just like, <laughs> oh my God, my like, were you just so happy? I was, but also because, because I had put so much weight on this goal, I think that I didn't really appreciate it as much as I should have. It was kind of like, oh yeah, I got that goal. What's my next goal? Let's, let's go. Let's, let's handle it. And, and it was, it was what happened at my first Olympics. Oh, I didn't get a medal. Oh, now I really want a medal. And I think that as a power country, the U.S. puts a lot of weight in those medals. And so I wanted mm. to respond and deliver. And so it was kind of like, oh, check next instead of, oh, my God, you're one of three people to be named to an Olympic team. And not just that, you're. this is the second time you've done that. And when I think about it that way, I'm like, oh, like I worked really hard. You worked your ass off literally like your journey from sulking in bed going to see the mountains wanting to do the triple axel and it's easy to just put on paper and say you know but truly the journey that you went through to get there you should win a fucking medal for that thank you I mean it's not like I put my olympic medal on every day it's just like did you expect to because the country was putting so much pressure on you to, you know, stand out at the Olympics and win a medal for your country. Did that, was that the added pressure? Unlike the first time you went to the Olympics? Yes. Yeah. And since the first time I went to the Olympics, social media has become such a huge part of our lives, especially for Americans. And we're almost expected to share our journey with everybody and it was a lot for me to um you know 
I wanted to be a bubbly personality, but I wasn't always so cheery at the Olympics because I was feeling the pressure of how well I did at the, at my first uh, event. And then, you know, it was such a different experience from my first Olympics. And uh, I guess you don't know this, but at the Olympic games, they added a new event. So it goes team event where our performances are combined, which is the event that I got in a, a medal in to, as a team, we, we do like one performance each in ladies. So we had two, two females do a short and a long, and then we had the ice dance team do their short and long, a pair team do their short and long, and then two guys to do their short and long. And, and that total represented the team USA. And so from that, usually for competitions, we just do short and long and our individual accumulated scores place you wherever so it's very individual and so the team event is only at the olympic games and i because i had competed by myself for so long that was something that i really wanted to do so we i did the long program free skate at the team event and at the beginning of the week and then i had two weeks of just like being in korea and and starting to just like freeze up like the nerves are just starting to get to me and then that last week where I competed and I think that I was mentally fried by then I never thought about how there is that gap in between competitions yeah. mm-hmm. why would the Olympics do that to their athletes because that- there's just so many other sports you know that's Every torture day is a different sport yeah yeah and, wow. and Korea was just too far for me to get home and and Lincoln wasn't there and you're the village is really cool. It's all the countries coming together and you have a room and then there's a meal hall that's open 24 seven. And until this last Olympics, McDonald's was a sponsor. And so there's fresh McDonald's all day on top of all the different cuisines that you can think of in kind of like a lunch cafeteria format. So it's really cool. But then also it's really hard for people to come in So it's just the athletes and the coaches and the officials. And then you're like segregated from the rest of the world. So how were your two, two weeks? Like, how do you deal with that anxiety? We actually uh, left the village. We went to a, a nearby city that had an ice rink and we started training there so that we could get away from the press, the media, just society in general but at the same time we were still in Korea which meant that the Olympics was everywhere there was the logos everywhere there were Olympic goods everywhere and and that logo has a lot of weight to it that Mm -hmm. instead of um, letting it lift me up it started to weigh me down and the pressure started to get to me and and um you know i was blaming things like oh my boots don't feel right when mentally i just wasn't where i needed to be how do you refocus yourself how do you make yourself focus i think distractions are actually really good and and instead of instead of um you know 
enjoying myself outside of the Olympic Games, I I just started to focus in too much on it because I wanted it so bad. It was like I was trying to cup water, but because I was cupping it so hard, it was just trickling through instead of holding it with the right amount of pressure. And uh, what I really should have done was just done things that I do normally at home, like read fantasy or watch Shit's Creek or just stay, you know, I think I was trying so hard to do everything right that I just, it just started to get to me. And did most athletes feel the same type of pressure, you think? I'm not sure, actually. Uh, As a ladies event, we were the last ones. The rest of my teammates finished a lot earlier. And, and, um, you know, when you're not the last event, the Olympics are awesome because you get to party way more. And um, because NBC had bought the rights to our events uh, and they wanted to hold it live primetime, we were competing at like 10 in the morning. And that was really hard for me because I just, I mean, like when you wake up, you're groggy. And so I had to wake up at 4 a.m. But getting to bed at 8 p.m. just wasn't in my genetics anymore. I did that at a young age, but I couldn't do that when I was older. Um, And so as the event started to finish out, you could hear the partying going on. And um, my roommates were all going out while I was still trying to get ready to compete. And and (sighs) it was it was it wasn't ideal and that's like that that's something that you just don't talk about to the media like to say like yeah I'm like waiting here my engine is about to like explode and everyone is just like having fun around me while I'm just like is it my turn yet like is it time to go and um I think that was difficult for for me mentally I was starting to get fried that's when I look at competition as like like um like a, like a bottle in the freezer that's about to explode. Yes. It's so much anxiety. And some people are just not cut out for that. I know now in my life, I'm not cut out for that. It's not in me to, to, to that pressure buildup is just not good for me mentally. And I don't think we give enough credit to you athletes. You know, we don't, we only see the, the, the short amount of your journey and Mm-hmm. the awards but mentally it is so draining and it's been draining for you I'm sure for like as long as you've been competing and performing yeah but the thing is I love to hate it if that makes sense yes yes but that's why you're doing it because there has to be something in you that wants it so bad and you're willing to endure that pressure because not mm-hmm. a lot of people can do that it's so amazing. I talk a lot about how I was mentally fried, but when I showed up for the team event, I couldn't figure figure out if I I was before I went on the ice, I was like sobbing backstage because Why? because I I had I was like I took this spot from so many other people and now I'm so scared that I don't want to go out there. And and it's just that like that feeling that it's all boiling down to that moment in time where you have to deliver where it's so much pressure and in my team event I remember being like I can't do this I'm horrible I'm not ready I should have practiced more and all this negativity going on until and thinking like I don't know how to skate why am I here and the music starting and still just like 
being frozen in fear until I trip going into my triple axel and then thinking like, oh, like I just tripped on a forward crossover, which I've done since I was five years old. I'm not going to let myself get in my way and having to turn my mind off and and going into the triple axel, just like feeling oceans and waves of calm. Which oh, you really do. You bizarre. felt that. Wow. And like just being able to finally let muscle memory take over and remembering that when I landed that triple axel, everybody went crazy. And I saw out of the corner of my eye, just everybody like standing up like as one and like screaming and and thinking, oh God, what if I fall on every other jump after this? And then thinking like, but no, it hasn't happened yet. So, and then like turning my brain off again and then continuing on through the program, not really. And, and that, that damn triple Salcal, my nemesis, like being able to land that and thinking, okay, I'm halfway through. And then again, silence. And at the end, when my legs were dying, because no matter how many times you run through your long program, you still feel like you're dying at the end. I hear from um, the team event is where our teammates like are right at the wall watching you, um, which is added pressure, but to support you. And I hear out, out of the corner of my ear as I pass the team event, you did it, girl. <laughs> and like thinking like, uh, my legs are so tired and like being like, ah, oh, I can't push through this mud in my legs and hearing that voice and kind of laughing because I I was like I have to do one more jump (laughs) laughing because my teammate thinks I'm done and she's like yelling at me and then that laughter just gave me the ability to do that mental change again and nailing that jump and and just screaming through the end of my program because I had been able to deliver that performance that I had been looking for for my whole career and that adrenaline that you get is just yes when you skate poorly you feel like you're worthless and just why are you doing all this to yourself but when you have that that performance that's worth it it's like nothing else can relate to that and so I think that that addiction to that adrenaline was what kept me going for so long the, the switching your mind on and off is truly a superpower. I wish I could do it all the time, you know? That would have you made me a it. better competitor. But no. I think that's why we all show up to competition because you just never know what's going to happen. It's truly a superpower to be on the world stage like that and be able to be so aware. You can even hear someone's, you go girl, to turning it off and like, counting on your muscle memory that it'll Mm -hmm. be there for you it's truly a superpower so I always knew that I was the skater did you always know that you were going to be an actress because for me growing up I loved Hannah Montana but when I think back on it I'm like we didn't really see people like Asian Americans Mm -hmm. in on the television and and I kind of had that impression that if I was different almost because I was an athlete whereas like you know Arcadia we were so competitive and it was like oh yeah we're all going to Ivy Leagues and 
that was kind of expected of us. Yeah. But when when Georgine told me that you're an actress, I was like, that's interesting. She's kind of like me, like different. Like, yeah. I, how did you? I kind of always knew that I was a performer. Um, and I remember in high school, there was no doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to be an actor because it was very clear to me in high school that I couldn't do anything else besides performing. I wasn't good at school. Like I'm, you know, Arcadia High School being the competitive school that it is, it really segregated the people that were very academic fo- focused and the people that were not. At, and mm-hmm. the people that were academic focused was like 90%. And the people that were not, I almost felt like I was looked down upon to a lot of people because I wasn't um, good at school. And even at my dance company that was the dance company that I was in in high school even the 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 main um, instructor there was even like what are you going to do after high school go to a community college and pursue acting even the dance teacher who was in the arts was putting me down because I wanted to choose a route that was more risky and honestly yeah I I was like well acting and dancing the performing is what makes me happy and it's that addiction you know of I don't know the applause the validation the people saying oh my god that was so funny that was so great I I'm addicted to that I don't know why um but I just could never see myself doing any other thing besides that Wait, so after high school, what did you do? Because this is like the first time that we're catching oh, up. Oh, I know we're catching up. Um, so after high school, I went to PCC. Pasadena I went to City. PCC too. I went to Pasadena City College um, because I was like, I got into some Cal Poly schools, but I just, and, and Loyola Marymount actually accepted me as a dance major. And I remember I was at a crossroads towards the end of senior year because the dean of their dance program said to me, you can only come to this school if you are loyal to us and if you dance for us for all four years. And I remember, I didn't even have to really think about it, but I remember I told my mom that and I was like, you know, I don't want it. Like if I have to dance all four years and not get into the school because of my academics, then it's fine. I don't really want to dance for this school because I just knew like I love dancing but I just knew that I couldn't see myself as a dance major I always wanted to go to LA I always wanted to meet people that weren't in Arcadia Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was there was nothing really for me there but now looking back I loved Arcadia I love going to Arcadia or the San Gabriel Valley because that's like it almost, I don't know if you feel this way, but being the different person in high school kind of made me stronger as a person in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It set, it set you apart. And it's so interesting because in real world reality, we're the minority, but growing up in Arcadia high school, 80% of us are Asians and it's like, oh, Asians dominate the world is yeah. what my perspective was. And when I got to the Olympics and they they asked me what it was like to represent the minority, I was so confused at my first Olympics, my second Olympics, living in Colorado, 
traveling the US, traveling the world a little more, I, I loved that I was representing not just the Asian community, but the Asian American community, because I feel like our generation is the one that has a voice, like we're able to talk about the things that bother us to take a stand for what we believe in and to see to see so many people from Arcadia coming through the ranks makes me really proud. I feel like you were the one of the first people because you were so different, but we all knew what you were doing. And I think we were, I, the whole community, we were cheering you on. And I remember seeing that you didn't qualify the, you know, the, the, the second time and feeling so heartbroken for you because you dedicated your entire life to this. And I think we were all like, oh my God, you can do this, Mariah. Like what the, your teammate was saying, you, like you did it. It's, it's really such an honor to see your journey from you know, high school and now. And, it's, and I'm just honored to, to know you and get to speak to you. It's really awesome. Thank you. Okay, wait, but I know we've been talking for a long time, but after PCC, like, I'm so interested in how acting works. Like, do you just take well, your headshots and resumes and go around town? Or... <laughs> I'm also well, watching Hollywood on Netflix. Oh my God, I love Hollywood. So the, so the thing is, I, I, I was auditioning and acting in high school too. Um, but I think after high school, it kind of solidified in me that I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do to get there. And I remember after high school, I was like, okay, I need to have a plan. I don't have a plan. So I was like, I'll go to PCC. And, and at that time, I was like, I'll just, maybe I'll be good in public relations, right? Because I'm bubbly, I'm an extrovert, and I'm nuts. So I was like, I'll just, you know, go to PCC, focus on communications, um, maybe transfer out of PCC as a public relations major and go to a university. Um, and do acting on the side. But for some reason, I don't know, I think sometimes you plan for certain things to happen, it just doesn't go your way um, in a good way. So there's this app called Vine that came out and um, me and my friends in acting class started playing with it. And we were kind of like the first ones on it. And we just started shooting our own videos. And then I realized that I love making my own content and I loved not, I love giving myself my own script and producing my own little six second thing rather than someone else giving me a role. And that just like kind of fueled my passion again for creating rather than just being um, a, a talent, I was making things and that like made me even more like satisfied. So um, from then on, uh, I kind of just dropped out of college I don't even know how I did it. You still remember how you dropped out of high school. I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to show up for my geology class anymore because I'm going to be in the valley shooting vines. Like, it was just so weird. And I kind of just went with the flow and took every opportunity that came my way. And not like, sh I just showed up every day to be like, I'm going to be a sponge and literally do everything I can to get to where I want to be um, and then yeah. along the way did you get an agent and I always had an agent um and I always had a manager 
it was just differentiating myself because there was a lot of Asian American actresses. There's a lot of actresses, you know, how am I going to be different? And during that time, social media was kind of on the rise because of Vine. And um, I remember when I got my first digital gig, I sent it to my agents and they're like, we don't know what to do with this. This just seems like whatever, you know, and lo and behold, the gig that I got was Smosh. That is literally one of the biggest YouTube channels on YouTube. And, you know, now looking at it, it's just like a lot of people didn't know the power of social media and now they do. And now everyone's, you know, woke about it and they understand it. And it's just like, wow, like this is something to be taken seriously. So going from traditional acting to digital stuff and still doing traditional acting right now is, is kind of where I'm at now. And I I'm really fortunate. And like I said, like, you probably feel this way too, but being a minority, you really have to put your community on your back. And like, you're not just showing up for yourself, you're showing up for your entire community. Um, but it's fucking, gra- it's gratifying. It's really, so what's, what are you doing now? Are you going to the Olympics again? Maybe I'd like to help some kids become Olympians. Um, but since I've um, taken a break from competing, girls are doing quads now. And I mean, I just didn't have that technology available to me. Like nowadays kids learn jumps through something that looks like a fishing pole. So you put a harness on it. I saw that. Have you done that? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I learned my triple axel is that I would hire someone to just like hold me up so that my body wouldn't take as much of the impact. But I was still um, taking such hard falls that uh, did you know that Asians, a lot of Asians are genetically, um, they genetically have dysplasia, which is which means their hips are too shallow for their legs. And because I um, only land on the one leg on my right leg, my bones growing up were trying to compensate. And so it grew bigger to be stronger. And then it didn't hit fit in my hip. So uh, do you remember like, okay, so like for me, um, one of the defining moments of me was I wore KT tape that was, that said Team USA on my leg because they didn't have any nude tape left. And so I was just like, whatever. That was to kind of hold my hip in place because I had uh, chipped a little bit and torn my labrum. So I had chipped a bit of my pelvis and torn my labrum. And so I was actually getting PRP every six months, which is when they take your blood from somewhere, a different part of your body, spin it to become red, red blood cells and white blood cells. And the white blood cells have healing powers. Mm -hmm. And so they would just inject it back into my hip and it would be a bandaid because of my labrum. And so now I'm trying to figure out my hip because <laughs> I have so many issues. Um, so you're not you're not competing anymore. Are you are you done with figure skating? Um, I think that's super hard for me to still accept because I'm still. I mean, before COVID, I was going into the rink all the time, but I think that I I don't think that I have that mental strength to just push it out every single day. I mean, I'm 27. You know, if you put things into perspective, Tara Lipinski won her Olympic gold medal at 15, maybe 14 years old. So it's like, 
wow, I'm feeling like I'm old in skating. I, I hope in life I'm still young. But you are. <laughs> thank you. But as far as skating goes, it's like, do I really want to push my body past the point of exhaustion on a regular basis? I don't really know because I did it. So what are you doing right now in Boston? Uh, did you know that I'm a forever college student? And so I just like, just, I just really want a degree. And so it's like every semester I'm like, I don't want to take classes. And then I start taking them. Um, so you're in college right now? Yeah, I actually just finished my semester because uh, it all became online. And um, I actually go to school in Colorado Springs right now, but I'm in Boston because of my hip. And so I see a lot of doctors to figure out what's going on with my hip because it still hurts since my first surgery. Wow. I didn't know that. So you live in Colorado Springs, but you're in Boston because of your hip during COVID, which seems like so much. Also, I have a boyfriend in Boston. So oh, Okay. Okay. Well, it's, it's your boyfriend who is in Boston, but you're like, yeah, my hip. I'm like, no, but coincidentally, my favorite Team USA doctor, we have doctors who travel with us. Um, the doctor that I could reach out to, and I knew that she was always going to support me because I didn't have a primary care doctor in Colorado. I mean, we we were kind of every once a year, we would have our regular schedule, uh, annual, but it was through our skating camp that we did it. So I didn't have a primary care doctor that I could just reach out to. So I asked her to be my primary care and she turned out to be in Boston and he turned out to be in Boston. So it all uh, worked out. Yes. So after mm-hmm. the Olympics, do they give you guys like um, any what happens? Like, are they like, congratulations, you want a gold medal, bye. Or do they support you guys with doctors and, you know, therapy? No. Do you go to therapy? No, I don't. But I feel like you guys would like, I feel like it's, it's mentally exhausting. I feel like as an athlete, um, and as someone who wouldn't really consider herself a celebrity, I feel like celebrities all have therapists, but um, normal day-to-day people, especially Asians, like, uh, have that mentality of like, oh, if you're seeing a therapist, you're like crazy. But yeah, actually after the Olympics, I started to, uh, see a therapist because, um, I had a lot going on. I was going through a breakup and, you know, I felt like, oh, this is something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, oh, what? Okay. I felt like at the Olympics, I would say something and, and it would get turned into something that I didn't mean for it to, to sound. And, but it was like my word, my words in quotes. And so I'd be like, yeah, I said that, but that wasn't the way I meant it. And seeing my words turned around, it felt like, and, and going after the Olympics to a bunch of after parties where I felt really like an outsider, because I was just like, why am I here? I'm not an actress. I'm not as beautiful as any of these people. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, And seeing that differentiation between a female and a male, like seeing that, like when a male says something confident, it's just seen as confidence. But when a female says it, it's often turned into, you know, something egotistical. So I, that was something that I struggled with and decided to talk to a therapist about. 
Interesting. So there was a lot of press after even won the one after you won the gold medal. They were probably just like making you guys go to all these events and well, I I went on Dancing with the Stars after the Olympics. Oh my god. Yes, mm-hmm. you did. How was that? Yes. It was an interesting experience. Um uh it was really an interesting experience because on my season um Tanya Harding was on my show oh wow uh Adam Rapon, Mariah Nagasu that's like it's like all figure skaters and um yeah uh are are these people that you've always wanted to meet and well Adam Rapon is, is um he was on my team at the Olympic Games, but Tanya Harding is like um, quite controversial too. Yes, oh, wait, both of them. Yes, uh, and so uh, well, like Tanya Harding was banned from figure skating because she, you know, yeah, yeah, she she whacked whack, someone in the <laughs> whacked Nancy Kerrigan in the knees. Not actually, not personally, but she had someone do it. Yeah, and so to meet someone who had been banned from your sport was I had like I really can't say it other than it was an interesting experience how strange I almost for so was she nice to you um she was really nice (laughs) but it was I'm sure it was such an interesting situation because you went from training at the you know prepping for the Olympics winning a gold medal and then going to Hollywood to film dancing yeah, with I the mean, stars yeah I mean I mean Tanya Harding didn't even know who I was like she didn't know that I was a skater what? <laughs> she asked me she, when I first met her I was just like oh my god like um Tanya Harding she also used to be able to do a triple axel way back in the day and so um and when I met her I was like oh my god Tanya what an what an honor to meet you I never thought this day would happen and then she asked me which celebrity I was paired with (laughs) and I was like well I guess technically I'm the celebrity even though I won a gold medal in the sport that you're banned from or I met a won a bronze medal bronze I'll take gold though yeah well in my in my mind remember you for yeah your your whole journey is deserves a gold medal but how ironic is that (laughs) (laughs) yeah she thought you were the dancer not the celebrity it was yeah and then there was just like um, a saturation of figure skaters who by nature you know I never partnered but I did dance classes growing up so it was it was um it was an interesting experience because people expected me to be good and then I expected myself to be good and (laughs) and I think that it was hard for me when I would watch those um packages at the beginning um you know I feel like I'm the type of person who I become better because I counter what what people think of me so when the judges are like no she was bad I'd be like no I'm the best what do you mean like let me show you let me put in the time let me put in the effort let me show you what I'm really made of and when that was that like when I watched that on TV, I I would kind of be horrified because I would sound so entitled, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, my like 
technique is? No, I think that we should. Okay. You are someone that dedicated your entire life to a sport. And there were ups and downs, failures, and there were so many people critiquing you. I think you have all the power to say whatever the fuck you want to say and own it. Because that's something I've been dealing with is that sometimes I feel like maybe it's the Asian culture in me, but I always apologize. I always say, sorry, I, you know. Absolutely. I think my two most used words in my vocabulary are, thank you, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Because- I've been so trained to be grateful for everything and I am, but, and then my first instinct is to apologize because I want to avoid conflict. It's it's like saying sorry is not even, I don't even need to apologize. There's nothing to apologize about, but saying sorry almost puts me in a less intimidating um, position to someone else. But why do I need to do that? Why do I need to feel like I need to make you feel powerful and for me to feel submissive? by saying sorry, or like maybe sorry gets you to feel better. Or it's something that I need to, you know, take that out of my vocabulary or even just not say so. I don't know, because I have nothing to apologize for. And I just think that like growing up, you know, feeling like everything was, like you said, um, uh, an opportunity given by God or something that I feel like I need to say sorry for um, something that I need to get better at. So I guess our advice to your listeners and to ourselves is stop apologizing. Yeah. Own up to who you are, embrace it and end it with every happy, disgusting, vomit worthy ending, happy ending that you're wanting and looking exactly. for. What would, what, what would be your advice to anyone anticipating or feeling anxious about a performance, about a test, about anything in their life that they feel anxious about? What's your advice? Uh, I think my, the, my advice that I would like to take myself is that happiness is not eternal and neither is, is sadness. And life is what it is because take it in waves and you know people ask me how I motivated myself to go to the rink every day and to train every day and it's like honestly I didn't really want to every day but I wanted to become a better skater that was my goal and so to reach that goal that was what I had to do but it's not like I loved every second of it and you know it's like going to school like when I finally get that degree I'll look back and think God, I hated parts of it, but other parts, it was worthwhile, you know? And I think that that if I've learned anything from being in quarantine, it's that there is always room for me to learn something new and to educate myself. And that's the only way that I'm going to keep my sanity. Yeah. Also, I wanted to also touch on this um, thing, this topic, which is when I remember when I was getting myself involved in all these extracurricular activities my mom's English wasn't great so I had to be the one making the calls to agents I had to be the ones calling dance studios and submitting myself for certain things did you ever feel that same struggle oh my god I had to do everything by myself I mean my mom 
was kind of like, if you want it, you have to go get That's it. That's exactly how my mom was too. I mean, when when we went to Costco, I was the one ordering Supreme pizzas. Like I, and my mom would be like, go get the Supreme pizza. Here's some money, go. And I'd be like, but, uh. and then, and she'd be like, you know, like, do you really, this is the pizza we want. And if you want it, you have to learn to go get it. And I think mm-hmm. that independence is what, um, y- yes, I think like sometimes I'm quiet and sometimes I don't really say what I'm feeling. And I feel like I try to please people too much, but at the same time, I want to think that I'm someone that my parents can be proud of because, you know, yeah, it was hard to be the one trying to push my career and push my um, Asian to get me contracts. But I think that you learn to ask for things when you're the one doing it. And Mm -hmm. actually, um, after I didn't skate so well, at my own individual event, I popped, which is when you abort your jump at the Olympics, the triploxel, and I'm not a popper. Um, I said, well, like kind of like, yes, I'm disappointed, but there's nothing I could do about it, you know, after the performance. I can't go back in time and and redo it. So I kind of had that mentality. And I said, like, I kind of think they see this as my audition for Dancing with the Stars and that rubbed people the wrong way. Um, And I didn't think that it would actually happen. I just kind of said it to be like funny and, Mm -hmm. you know, as in like life goes on kind of mentality. But you know, I think because I said that I wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars, um, I manifested it to happen. And so mm. it was, um, I felt like, I don't know how to explain it, but you I spoke- was thankful. Yeah, I was thankful to my mom for making me be uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's one thing that immigrant children have to go through is that they have to be the one calling pizza hut for a pizza or they have to be the one signing up for a class you know um because oh uh did you forge your parents signature all the time I had to forge all the time all like the time my, for some reason we had those this is like way back but anytime we had reading charts oh yeah I would, would forge like, all of them yeah, my mom would be like, why do I care how long you've read for? Don't bother me with this. And yep. she'd be like, just sign it yourself. So I knew how to sign my mom's signature. Me too. I knew how to sign my mom's signature um, when I was probably like in second grade. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. We, especially with working parents that your parents work at a restaurant, they are working crazy hours and my mom too running a business it's like they're kind of just like do your own thing if you want to tie your hair in a bun for ballet class I'm not going to tie that bun for you I'm sorry she was she was like here are the hair clips you do it yourself if it looks bad then it looks bad now you know how to look better you know type Mm -hmm. of mentality and and I remember you know seeing my friends get dropped off to ballet class getting picked up on time I was never picked up on time those things. I was like, oh, my mom I, forgot me all the time. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I was like staying there at like for four hours waiting for my mom all the time. But you know, it's just, that was like the training at life, 
you know, um, having patience, you know, showing up for yourself, doing things independently. And I'm so grateful that our, our immigrant parents taught us or gave us those lessons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When my, when we, when we didn't have enough money for me to go to college and my mom was like, you got into UC Irvine. Great. Like go take student loans. And I was like, no, I can't take student loans. And she was like, well, go get a job then. That's what people have to do. J-O-B work. How, how expensive is skating? I never asked you that. Oh, it's so expensive. So, um, you know, when we were paying for my equipment, um, right now my skates are 900 bucks and then my blades are like top of the line. So like 700 bucks. And then, I mean, uh, when I was younger, I only went through one pair a year, but as I grew older, because I, um, I got a lot bigger and when I landed, the force was more powerful. I was going through them once every three months, but, um, I got to a level where the boot and blade company sponsored me, but, um, costumes can be a thousand dollars. My coaches lessons are, um, a hundred dollars plus programs are thousands of dollars. You have to pay for ice time. It's really an expensive sport that I fell into. So does team USA sponsor any of this stuff? Not all of it is a thing. And you have to qualify for your tiers. We call them envelopes uh, at the national championships. So depending on how you place at the national championships, you're placed into tiers and envelopes. Team A obviously is the best and you get the most funding. Team B, second tier, team C, and then the reserve team. So they, they call it the international selection pool. And so from that pool, is where they send kids off to competition. Wow. Expensive. Mm -hmm. Do you have to pay to um, like try out for competitions? Oh, oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So I think that, um, you know, with what I know about acting, it's about who you know and, and how you impress that what however many people are in that room and how they like you but with skating it's much more clear cut it's a little bit more clear cut where you pay and you pay money and sign up for the competition and so to get to nationals you do your regional championships which is like your little section and state and then you go on to like a bigger section so Mm -hmm. for us in California it was the Pacific uh Pacific's sectional championships Mm -hmm. and then there's like the midwest i'm missing a word in that so uh you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to research that i can't believe i'm missing it but i only did one sectional championships and then and then so it goes regional sectionals and the national championships which is all of the states coming together and then it's divided up by level so it goes juvenile intermediate as like babies and then novice, junior, senior is when things start to matter. And then um, once you do well at nationals, you start getting sent off to the junior Grand Prix and the Grand Prix. So that's like kind of like Formula One racing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, every year we have the world championships, which means that uh, anybody who represents 
a country, depending on the world championships before, have a certain number of slots. So up to three spots, but every country is guaranteed one spot at the world championships. Oh, and then there's also a four continents championships, which is like North America, Asia, Australia. I don't know what the last continent is. And then Europeans, which is all the other. It's like a whole season of competitions. Um, That's exhausting. There's a show on Netflix called Formula One Racing. And it it kind of um, breaks down the players, like what they're going through how they go into the Grand Prix, that would be really cool to see with figure skating. Like if you could get the best of the best. So Formula One racers- You should pitch that idea. Who? (laughs) But getting everyone to agree to talk to cameras all the time is, I I don't know how possible it is, but seeing them talk to the cameras and seeing the person behind the scene, that's what we all want. But I think that as athletes, we have so much going on that we need someone to take what we say and then do the magic, the editing, right, the packaging for us. That, but I also think the the raw form of what you guys say is so um, real. I don't want like PR to sugarcoat what you guys say. But you're right. I think a lot of people's words get twisted, um, and and it's. And I was thinking the media controls so much of what other people see as who you are. But, you know, to me, the Mariah that I talk to isn't, you know, maybe what the media is saying that you are. But at the same time, I feel like you have every right to say how you feel and express how you feel because you're, you're, you're a powerhouse of a human. Thank you. And Maybe I think I need, I'll just call you every day and be like, I need I think to it's boost true. the confidence. And I think for outside, I think for people to see Asian women in such a powerful position, I think people get scared. I think they have their ideas of how Asian women should be like, um, but it's not true. And I think when we prove them wrong, they get scared. And they want to say, oh no, this is what she said. This is what she means. Because I don't think there's enough powerful Asian women, or at least I think we don't brag about it because in our culture, bragging is frowned upon, you know, but I think that's why I have this podcast to brag to people. Mariah Nagasu is fucking incredible and she is the best, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't don't brag enough. We got to brag. I think that above all else, um, I mean, growing up, I always thought I was Japanese until until I did an interview in Japanese and they the the television um, network talked about how broken my English was and I thought about it and I was like well yeah you're right my Japanese isn't the best because I grew up in the U.S. so my English is like on point and I'm American but then thinking like that's weird because because like I'm not blonde or blue-eyed so mm-hmm. am I like what definition of pretty do I fit into like that and then and then going to Japan and seeing the way people dress and thinking oh like I don't dress like that at all like Mm. it's just and and finally this network of Asian Americans have really come through into the media and thinking oh my god like this is 
the group that I can relate to, that I understand and that I'm proud to represent because, you know, growing up, I'd be like, yeah, I guess I represent the US, but I don't really know what that means. And now I see it as a mix of so many communities and being proud to represent all of them, even though I relate most strongly with the Asian American community. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy that you're at this point in your life where, you know, you don't really have to make skating your whole being. You're more than that, you know? So I'm so excited to see where you go and what stuff you get into. But I just know for a hundred percent for sure that whatever you do, you're going to excel in. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Thank you. This was really fun. Um, Guys, this is Mariah Nagasu. Her story is incredible and it's so inspiring. And if you don't want to listen to this podcast, you should still even just look her up on their internet and you'll find so many awesome, inspiring stories about her. Um, Yeah. Mariah, thank you so much. Guys, go follow her at Mariah Nagasu. She is just the best. Just the best.